0: The Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by GoToWebinar, web events and online meetings made easy. Visit goToWebinar.com and start your free 30 day trial today. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Scott Belsky. He is the CEO and founder of the Behance Network, a leading platform for creatives, and he's also the author of *Making Ideas Happen: Overcoming the Obstacles Between Vision and Reality*. So, Scott, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, you know, there's a um, this is on your uh, website to to with the book, and I'm sure it's scattered amongst other places. But uh, the the this idea of not the it's the world I guess is not about ideas but it's about making ideas happen uh, I have to tell you I when I speak a lot of times it's small business owners or startups and and it never fails somebody comes up to me and says I want to tell you my idea but you know you you, you have to promise to keep it a secret <laughs> and, and, and I you know I, I've probably irritated a few people over the years going, you know what, you can tell this whole room, nobody's going to do anything with it anyway, <laughs> you know, because right. it is all about execution. And, and I think that's a lot of times there's all these great ideas that people have, but nothing really happens unless you uh, execute them.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, listen, I, I, I always say the same thing that you say to people. I say, first of all, if, if your idea is so easily replicated and stolen, then it's probably not a good idea to begin with. Right. Because, as soon as you uh, share it, you know, then it's gone, right? So, um, but I also tell them that, and you know, and some of the stuff that I learned over the research for this book is that a lot of people swear on the benefit of sharing ideas liberally. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the people we met along the way was Chris Anderson, the editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine and the prolific author in his own right. And he talked about how every time he has an inkling of an idea, he just puts it up on his blog, you know, whether it's a new book he wants to write or a new product you know he's thinking of developing for wired or elsewhere he just puts it out there you know for a few reasons one he wants to see whether people gain traction with it and if they hate it or love it or if it or if they ignore it you know that gives him a lot of data also he finds that if he doesn't put those ideas out there he's unlikely to be held accountable to them you know if no one's asking him what's the latest on that idea you shared last week then he's unlikely to follow through and so his perspective is Share ideas liberally, or else they're never going to happen to begin with. It's very similar to what you said. You
0: know, that's a great point too. I know, in you know, maybe it's even writing a blog post or something. You know, not even a huge project. Um, I'm always amazed sometimes when I get feedback or ideas from people how much more energy I get around the idea too.
1: Yeah, so it looks like this natural, you know, um, you know, almost Darwinian response. It's like the ideas that gain the most traction from our community. Are the ones we end
0: up spending the most energy on, and the ones that succeed the most? Yeah. Well, so the um, the Behance platform is that is that the current uh, best term for it? I th- I yeah. think it actually is. I think it started out as it's interesting. I think um, my observation, and I could be uh, I could be way off. Uh, um, uh, hopefully, <laughs> ho- hopefully not. But my observation exactly. is it started uh, it started very much as a community in the sort of typical fashion but it has grown to be so much more than that and and I think there's actually it, it, you you're in fact I should write a blog post about about the Behance network because I think that it you have a model of community whether you planned it or it happened organically that I think so many people would love to have because it it appears to me that so much of what you've grown there has happened because the community made it happen and and boy that's a that that has got to be the the clearest sign of a healthy community.
1: Yeah. Listen, the, 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 the Behance network is—we um, have focused on it becoming being a really effective promotional platform, and um, because, as you know better than probably anyone else, is that if you don't if you don't showcase what you're doing effectively, you know, you're going to be ignored. And uh, but there's an appropriate way and an inappropriate way to showcase your talent, and so we were always trying to figure out like the balance. You know, how do we help creative professionals around the world across industries? when they do projects for clients or for themselves or whatever, what's the most efficient way for these people to put it out there to get data on who's seeing it and how many people are seeing it and really track as it spreads throughout the web? So that's why we call it a platform rather than a community or a network, typically, just because we think that it's really that. When you put stuff up there, it automatically shows up in all these other networks you're a part of and galleries and stuff like that. And if people really like it, then more people start to see it. And so there's that natural mechanism of spread.
0: Well, but you, I guess what I see there is also so many other tools, though, to help them. Not Certainly, the, you're right, the marketing and being seen is a big deal. But uh, there, there's you know the, all the productivity tools and really the advice and the tips and the stuff. So it's really about them. It's kind of about the whole business. And, and I think that's a part that sometimes is missing.
1: Yeah, well that's true. And and you know, we started with the with the Behance Network and Action Method, this series of paper products and online tools for productivity, and we realized that there was something big missing. Yeah. That all of this research that we were doing and the interviews and all that stuff was not being collected and presented in some sort of think tank that people could just turn to to, um, to start to critique the way that they do stuff mm-hmm. so I think that's what you're referring to this this thing that we now call the 99 percent right. at the 99 percentcom that's like kind of become like a you know a think tank if you will for execution in the creative world um, and, um, and we, we, you know, we feature best practices and stuff you know that are written uh, and, and found by us and also by others I know we've linked to stuff that you've, you've written before as well so it's, um, it's become a collection of sorts. Well, let's, uh, let's move a little bit
0: to the book because obviously the – well, I shouldn't say obviously. In many cases, uh, books like this are an outpouring of what you've learned along the way here um, inside of this network. So the, the Behance Network is primarily folks engaged in, in obviously creative work. I mean, is the book – is that who the book's for?
1: Yeah, the, the, book, is, the book is for people with ideas, people yeah. who have lots of ideas and are frustrated with the fact that they're just not making them happen as much as they'd like. And um, it's it's born out of that frustration. I mean, that's really what the crux of this business was to begin with. And, uh, and so the book's really targeted with, with at people who um, have lots of ideas or generate ideas for a living and want to focus more on the execution side. So the one thing the book does not talk about is how to be inspired, how to be creative. There's nothing about real innovation in this book. It's an execution book. Yeah. And it's all about the best practices that executors use. The people who make ideas happen again and again and again, whereas most people don't. We were trying to figure out what those people do right.
0: See, and I guess my point is, when you, when you say it's people who make ideas, my, my belief is that everybody in business uh, should be Uh, that that's actually job number one is creating and and making ideas happen so it's really i guess that was the point i was trying to make (laughs) is that some people might assume this is for graphic designers um for for instance and i really think that this book is an awesome business owner book who is actually pushing innovation and marketing and every other creative thing forward whether they know it or not
1: thanks john i'm glad i'm glad you see it that way I, i feel like I mean, we've, a, lot of the, a lot of the people that we profile in this book, I mean, yes, some of them are entrepreneurs and people who run small businesses. Some of them are like the core creatives that we would call them, like the designers and the filmmakers and whatever. But I think that if you can help especially creative people who are just drowning in ideas become more organized and execute better, then you can leverage those best practices for everyone. Yeah. So it was kind of like focusing on the people who needed the help the most and then knowing that, that that those insights will be helpful to everyone but I agree with you I mean we all have a responsibility I mean the ideas also include solving problems I mean every business every small business leader has problems they are trying to solve they're trying to generate new ways of doing things and when you're doing that you're also trying to stay afloat I mean one of the things we've realized is especially this day and age with email and Twitter and Facebook and and voicemails and all these other things incoming we're like starting to live this era of what I've come to call reactionary workflow where it's like you're just trying to get clear your collective inboxes every day and you really can't be proactive and focus on those long-term goals and ideas or things you want to change in your business um, because you're always just reacting every day yeah. and so the question is how you know how do people not become you know overwhelmed by the gravitational pull of operations and, um, and how do they stay generating and executing ideas in their business
0: yeah I uh, sometimes you know, when I'm being my most cynical self and my kids will ask me what I do for a living and I will tell them I delete email that's what I do for a living um, <laughs> but uh, but but you really do cover in this book uh, I'm gonna I'm looking for the exact quote finding the time to push the big meaningful ideas forward you know getting rid of all that other stuff so you can do that so I guess let's get practical how do you do that
1: yeah so practically speaking, you know in in, man- in conquering reactionary workflow, you know what did we see people do? So some people um, created literally created windows of non-stimulation in their day where they would close or minimize any of these incoming inboxes and then they would focus on that other list that they have, not the to-do list with all the stuff that's urgent on it, but that other short list of kind of long-term goals or things that they're trying to think about, um, that are more broad not as much, not as minute. And then they literally spend that window of non-stimulation focusing on those things and thinking about it. So in one case, uh, there's a gentleman we interviewed by the name of Pierre's Fox, who runs a big marketing consultancy. And between the hours of seven and 10 in the morning, he doesn't even open his email. He minimizes everything and he just does research. Research on things his clients are asking about that he's been thinking about. Now he always says, if if he were to open his email, he, he would the rest of the day be in reactionary workflow mode, and um, but it's that for per- the preservation of that window that he thinks you know keeps him and gives him his competitive edge. So you know that's that's certainly one um, one tip. Also, so, so you know, it's, let, me, it's let me let me finish, let me just finish. Let me just finish up a, on that
0: point is so so you're saying he it, it, the way people have to view it is like an appointment. You know, here's my strategic, creative, whatever goal-driven appointment each day.
1: Yes, there's this, you, yeah, exactly. That. Well, it would be an appointment on your calendar, literally, right? Yeah, there right. would just be this, this focus mode, you know, this window mode where you know that email, text, Twitter, Facebook, phone calls, instant messenger, everything's off, and you are being proactive with your energy rather than being reactive and responding to everything that's coming in. So that's point number one, is is, is, is making it a ritual. Mm-hmm. It needs to be ritualized or you're not going to do it. Right. Point number two is thinking in this, in this way of two lists, you know, having kind of the, 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 the to-do stuff, which is obviously everyone needs a to-do list of sorts, but then another list that's more, you know, bigger things. Now, one of those things might be family, you know, for mm-hmm. certain people doing um, the major things with their family, the house move, whatever. You know, the stuff that's important versus urgent needs to be treated separately. And, and just a quick third point for a lot of us, on you know, that are listening to as leaders of small businesses who really care a lot about, any problem and any, you know, anything that comes up, we want to take care of it ourselves. And one of the problems I noticed in this research was that we have the tendency to hoard urgent items to ourselves, yes. even, if they, even if someone else can do them. And, uh, and you know this, like if something comes in and someone's mad about something, your tendency is just to take care of yourself, even if it's someone else's job. Mm. And so can we have the discipline to not hoard urgent items and consume our day with them You know, something that's urgent doesn't necessarily mean it's complex. It's just urgent. We need to spend our time as leaders focused on the things that are important.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I've worked with thousands of small business owners, and I I think you're absolutely right that that is a very, very common attribute. And I think it comes as much as anything from so many folks start this thing and everything is theirs, and letting go of anything actually is sometimes a challenge.
1: Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a
0: discipline. So you um, also talk about uh, I, I don't know if we want to call this a myth or not but the idea that that this creative big thinker sits alone in a room and, <laughs> and creates all these ideas and that, that that you know a lot of what you talk about in the book is is you know understanding how to leverage a community um, We were talking I think before we right. got, got started here about the idea of, of feedback and 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 you know really getting your ideas going because you shared them and so I think that the whole idea of the lonely genius, uh, I think, is somewhat a myth that you want to you want to make go away. This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free sixty-day trial.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I think that. You know, unfortunately, great ideas are born and killed in isolation every day. And I like to also say that there are probably more half-written novels in the world than there are novels. And you know, we all we've all had ideas for businesses and restaurants and another thing that we want to start, and they've not you know they've never gained traction. And of course, involving your constituents, your community, um, and this includes obviously family and friends and past colleagues. And I mean, this these are the people that give our ideas steam. Um, you know, they provide the feedback. Um, they, uh, they, they, they. Uh, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. You know, one of the things we found was that uh, there are a lot of people we met that had a great idea that they were developing for quite some time, but never really made progress on it until they noticed competition in their community. Hmm. They came across someone else with the same idea, and they were like, "Oh my God, I got to get my get my act together and do this." And that was sometimes a catalyst for action and execution. Hmm. So community plays both expected and unexpected roles in um, helping us get stuff done. but one of the things that I, I would want to say, you know we, there's a lot of talk about transparency these days right. and also privacy and you know so people want to protect the privacy, and Facebook is always dealing with privacy issues and all this stuff. Um, but then you also have to question the, 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 the value of transparency. Um, there's a real positive value. if everyone knows how you are spending your time and, you know, and, and, and the projects you're working on and the goals that you have, your community will, will do wonders for you. They will start critiquing you. They will start holding you accountable. They will start connecting you with other people who have similar ideas and interests. And, I mean, so transparency is one of those things we, we noticed across the board that a lot of new age leaders are doing now, of small businesses and large businesses alike. They're letting people look at their calendars. They're letting people look at you know, their thoughts through Twitter and, and, and blogging and stuff. Um, so people should should use transparency as a way to make sure that the community sees, you know, where you're spending your energy and can get involved.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because I think there are a lot of people that always, uh, that really gravitate towards trying to make connections and get, you know, people introduced to people and make referrals and things. And, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think if... if if they're sort of taught, you know, here's what here's what I'm looking for. You know, here's who's ideal. Here's what I'm working on, uh, or at least it's very easy for them to see that. I, I think that you're right. It probably uh, really facilitates that process.
1: You, I, I, do, I agree. And, the, uh,
0: I was, I was going to say I've, I'd love to pick on my wife on this one sometimes. Um, actually, she's picking on me, but, but I get to pick on her in this, in this particular platform. Um, I, I, re- I like to start projects, and I don't so much like to finish them. So, uh, um, you know, you, you talk about this project plateau, and I think a lot of entrepreneur, a lot of idea people love the idea, but they get bored with the actual doing it. And, and so what advice, yeah. what, what advice do you have for, for the finish
1: Yes, well, you know, just to, just to illustrate these, this, this major problem for the listeners, uh, the, the, the energy at the point of conception of a new idea yeah. in your business is really high, and that energy fuels you to write it down and to tell people and to get started on it and to start taking action. But then as, as the project, you know, continues, you start to lose that energy and excitement, and, it, and you get lost in what I've come to call the Project Plateau, where it's really, really easy to get distracted. And what we tend to do to escape that project plateau is we create a new idea and we leave a project, you know, abandoned, halfway done. And so how do you – so you're asking kind of how do you escape that, that process? Yeah. Um, uh, so one of the things that um, – especially amongst entrepreneurs is um, – I kind of call it short-circuiting your reward system because if you think about it we're typically you know engaged in a project by getting feedback you know whether and also getting paid and yeah. you know it's easy when you're when you have a client who's paying you a monthly fee and it just kind of keeps you on the project and you keep continuing because you get the near-term reward um but of course with long-term with with most bold ideas there's no near-term reward it's always like a long-term initiative so what do you do to kind of trick yourself into staying engaged with this project enough to complete it um so We've seen all kinds of things. Um, A lot of people obviously create milestones, but they do it in a very creative way that keeps people kind of fascinated and engaged. They use things, whether it's like Google Analytics or other measurement tools, to give them some sort of progress in their project, kind of early, premature indications of progress. Um, Maybe they haven't finished yet. Maybe they haven't made it profitable yet, but there's still something that can keep them and their their team engaged and feel like they're getting some sort of acknowledgement or reward. Um, some people threaten themselves. They literally set up little, um, you know, mental mental agreements that if they don't get a certain thing done by a certain milestone, a certain target date, that they're going to have to you know, fill in the blank with something really embarrassing that you really don't want to do. <laughs> well, well, that sounds—that sounds, that sounds people d- say.
0: downright barbaric, actually.
1: <laughs> there was one woman I interviewed who told me that if she—if it was she—I think she was writing a screenplay and she kept putting it off and she couldn't. And she said that she promised herself, and this was a woman in her late thirties, that if she did not have the screenplay done by a certain date, that she would have to call her old high school guidance counselor and talk to him about how she had really, you know, ended up disappointed in her life. <laughs> and the awkwardness of the, having that call with someone she had not talked to in 20 or 30 years or whatever was was so shocking to her that, you know, she got it done. <laughs> okay,
0: I guess whatever it takes. Huh? Um, you, you, I'm going right. to read a couple <laughs> short statements that I think I'd love for you to kind of fill in um, the the what will probably be short, somewhat short answers. Um, You talk about reducing all projects to just three primary components. So what are those three?
1: The three components of any project in life are action steps, things that start with verbs, things that are actionable, Mm -hmm. back burner items, which are the things you want to come back to in the future, you know, the budget's not there, the clients aren't interested now, things that may be actionable someday but not anytime soon, Mm -hmm. and then the reference items static notes, the attachments, and all that other stuff that kind of builds up on our desk but seldom is referred back to.
0: So how do you keep all of those together and organized? I guess that's what some of your, your paper products yeah. and, and online um, tools are about, aren't they?
1: Well, the premise here is that you approach every discussion, everything in life, with this mentality of capturing the action steps and the back burner items and the references. The key piece here is is the following: keeping them separate is important. First of all, mm-hmm. the action steps need to start with verbs and remain separate from everything else. Um, actions, you know, and this kind of goes back to like getting things done. And David Allen's belief that quick action should just be done quickly, yeah. and then long term action should be tracked over time through some sort of system. Yeah. I suggest that it's by project rather than by context, since today you know at work is at home, and it's easier yeah. to kind of manage everything by project. Yeah. Um, with back burner items. We've seen a lot of people have a ritual where they'll have once a month, they'll revisit that backburner document. It might be like a Microsoft Word document on their computer, and they'll print it out, and they will go through it, and they will, you know, cross certain things out that seem ridiculous. They will keep certain things on that are still kind of backburner items that they might want to remember in the future. But then sometimes they will find backburner items from, you know, months if not years ago that are suddenly relevant, and they'll turn it into action steps. Yeah. I, I, and, uh, and, and one of the things to think about... Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, finish, finish that thought.
1: Yeah, just one last thing I was just going to say is, you know, with this mentality in mind, we have to start questioning the value of meetings and how mm-hmm. we're spending our time. If you go into a meeting with a group of people and, uh, and you leave without anything actionable, just references and just back burner items, you have to wonder whether, whether that meeting should have been a voicemail or an email. You know, it, meetings are very costly, and we all know this. Yeah. That meetings are, you know, there's a love hate relationship with them, and, and this is maybe a new way of measuring the value of meetings with action steps.
0: Yeah, that um, you won't get any pushback from me on that. I've, you know, that I, I'm unemployable, be, <laughs> unemployable because I won't go to meetings now. Um, all right, encourage, <laughs> encourage fighting within your team. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, um, when people are really passionate about a topic and they vehemently disagree with the decision that's being made. What happens in most teams is that people debate it, and you know, let's say you have three or four people debating a solution to a problem and what's going to be done, and then eventually you have one or two people who are like, you know what, I don't care anymore. This is just getting too heated. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not worth it to me, whatever. And that apathy kills um, the best solution you know, from happening. It really hurts the team. It hurts the user, the customer. And so the, 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 the best practice that we've seen in a lot of creative teams is to keep up the fight is when people are vehemently disagreeing, and one person starts to be apathetic and starts to give in. You actually should encourage them to stand their ground because it's the only way that their perspective and that kind of design space of solutions is going to be explored. And um, and you know, and, and fighting, we typically don't want to have confrontation, and we try to keep everything friendly in, in teams. But we found that a lot of teams have a culture where fighting is okay, and they recognize that when they're when they're getting heated up, that means that. There are a lot of pot- potential solutions to explore, and, and the best leaders keep people engaged, and they fight apathy ruthlessly.
0: Yeah, because there's some people that just don't like confrontation, so they've, they just as soon not have their idea heard than have it maybe shouted back at them. <laughs> um, yeah, and, 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 and you know, then people disconnect. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about half of this, but I, I, want, I want to know a little more about the second half. Seek competition and share ideas liberally. What do you mean by seek competition?
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, so we talked about sharing ideas liberally and just how important that is, and and, and the competition piece is, um, it's a force. I mean, we cannot ignore the value of the force of competition in our community, you know, meaning the people that are in our space, in our industry. Um, They keep, competition keeps us on our toes. Competition ultimately serves the end user, the customer, because everyone's constantly iterating and improving their product to have it be better. And um, so I, I really have seen, you know, I've seen a lot of teams where, you know, in industries where they seek competition. They literally recognize the value of it. And it sounds crazy, but they think it's the way to keep their competitive edge and to have a track record of execution if they have, if they have their competitors. So if you're running a small business and you try to ignore the competition and purposely never discuss them in the workplace – and kind of almost pretend they don't exist because you don't want to demoralize people by being scared. You're doing the wrong thing. You actually need to find these people, embrace you know the fact that they exist, and um, and keep track of them.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's a good point. I've, I find with a lot of small businesses, it's not that they're really afraid of competition. They just they don't they're not in an environment where they go head to head necessarily. So in some cases, they can't really even right. identify their competition. And I think you're right. Actually, having a strong enemy sometimes uh, is is what really kind of rallies the team. Yeah,
1: so, and for the benefit of industry, it's always going to help.
0: Yeah, so making ideas happen uh, can be purchased pretty much anywhere they sell books, but uh, have you uh, um, also created a site uh, just for the book, or is it inside of uh, of the, the network, or where would you send people?
1: Yeah, if, well, if you go to... Um, if you go, uh, Making Ideas Happen is the name of the book, and if you go to com, it redirects you to a, a page in, in our think tank where the book is prominently displayed and, and has all the links to, to order it. It's coming out officially on April 15th, um, and, you know, obviously people are pre-ordering now, and I'm, uh, I, I'm excited about it. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to join me. I know that you had... Uh, uh, had, had been doing some traveling and I think you jumped uh, right out of a meeting to, to, uh, to do this interview so uh, I know how that can go so I, I certainly appreciate it and, uh, and I know that uh, the book will do well and uh, hopefully we will speak again soon
1: thanks again alright
0: this episode of the duct tape marketing podcast was brought to you by GoToWebinar where you can increase your reach and have unlimited webinars for one low rate Visit go2webinar.com and start your free 30 day trial today.